Tea Soul Pop Season 5, Episode 7. Hello and welcome to Tea Soul Pop, the mini podcast for busy teachers. My name is Laura and joining me today to talk about the No Show Grow approach is Andre Headland. Andre is a Shevening alumnus with a master's degree in psychology of education from the University of Bristol. He's worked as an English teacher for 17 years as a coordinator and a Michigan examiner. He's a board member for the Braz TESOL's Mind, Brain and Education Special Interest Group and is a guest lecturer in courses on language, bilingualism and cognition in Brazil. Nowadays, Andre focuses on freelance consulting and writing ELT materials. A very warm welcome to the show, Andre. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you very much for having me, Laura. I'm very honored to be here, actually, and very excited to talk about today's topic. In today's episode, we're going to look at learning and teaching through the perspective of exchanging ideas and resources. Andre is going to share how this process of learning through exchanges can be fostered through the three stages of know, show and grow. We'll unpack what each of these stages mean, as well as what they can look like in practice. As with most TESOL pop episodes, today's topic can be applied to a range of teaching settings. So why not continue the conversation by sharing today's episode with your teaching community? So obviously one of the biggest challenges of having a bite-sized podcast like this is condensing big ideas into bite-sized chunks. So Andre, I'm going to set you the challenge of how you would summarize the no-show grow approach for our listeners. Well, it is a challenge. I, I can tell you that. And it's an approach that I think summarizes what happens in education, actually in any teaching and learning environment. Whenever we are trying to teach something, we have to acknowledge that we know something. So as teachers, we know the content we are about to teach, but knowing the content is not enough. We have to know how to teach the content and we have different approaches and methods to do that. And we also have to realize that our students, they know something, they have some background or previous knowledge. And if we don't tap into that, they're not going to learn very effectively. And they also have to show us evidence that they're learning as we are showing them this new knowledge or content or skills. So it's a, a really interesting interactive process that you know, involves us, teachers and our students, and the use of resources. Well, we use resources to know about things, to show different things. And I think the goal is to really grow in the process because, you know, as soon as I have my students reflect on the things that they are doing in class and they can see that they are going to be able to use that outside of the classroom, they grow in the process. And that's really the end goal, let's say, of, of this teaching and learning process. You've just summarized what the no show grow approach looks like. And it's really interesting how it involves both teachers and learners. It's not just one sided. So thinking about actual practice, what can each of these stages look like in practice? To give you an example, Laura, I, I, I thought of uh, the third conditional, you know, which is something rather advanced, let's say, because, you know, students, for them to be able to learn that there should be a sequence of things before they get to that stage, right? So, so if you think about no, if I'm going to teach the third conditional, I need to know if my students have learned the second conditional first. I need to know if they know how to use the past perfect tense, for example, because it's part of the structure, right? And a lot of teachers, they simply teach and assume that because the students have reached the level 
uh, that they're teaching that they've already learned those things, but have they really? And even if they have learned those things, are those things available in their working memory? So have I activated, let's say, their prior knowledge? Even when you prepare the examples or the models you want to share with your students, you should know your students as well. So you have to know what kind of things are interesting for them so that, you know, one of the rules of the science of learning is attention plus memory equals learning. So if you don't tap into their interests, if you talk about things that they don't care about, chances are they're not going to pay attention. So they're not going to create new memories. If they don't create new memories, there's no learning. So that's an example of no. And again, uh, the show part would be, so how do I teach this the best possible way I can? And many times I think you have to favor both approaches, more inductive, more deductive. So more inductive means first you allow your students to try and understand the rule from a model. So, you know, and, and normally in a context. So when we teach English, we normally have a reading uh, or we have a listening activity and then the language is being used in that uh, task. And then, of course, there is a box or, you know, we just highlight the target language that we want them to look at. And then we give them time to look at that and try to understand how does this work? How can I structure that? But also there should be a moment, I think, that you need to explain more explicitly. And then that's more deductive. And I think you can give lots of different examples because there's another rule from the science of learning, uh, multiple representations of the same content favor learning. Because if you just receive one type of input, then you don't have a lot to refer back to when you need that information, right? So that's one way you can think about show. And then of course, I, I forgot to talk about grow. Grow has a lot to do with using that language outside of, of, of you know the classroom. So beyond the walls of the classroom, I like to say. And I think grow has also a lot to do with changing our students' behaviors and attitudes and, and beliefs about how much they can learn. So there are a lot of authors who talk about uh, emotional intelligence, social and emotional learning, growth mindset and grit and all of that. And I think grow tries to look at all of those contributions. And, and basically the mission is to help our students learn how to learn more effectively and use the things that they're learning in the classroom in their real lives and on the real world not just to accomplish a task because we have to assess whether they're learning or not because a lot of what we do in class is going to be forgotten anyway if there's no meaning or if there's no relevance you know and i think uh, grow has a lot to do with that and one of the things that I like to do is I teach my students about those things. You know, I teach them about neuroplasticity and how we can always learn. We are always making new connections. I teach them about self-efficacy and how they can change their mindsets a little bit and really focus much more on the effort that they put instead of, you know, having a talent to do something or not, or being born with, with the learning gene, as some of them say, you know, so really being committed and trying things out. And this should be the goal of every teacher, you know, to uh, grow, let's say, our students' capabilities and potential so that they can use the stuff that they are learning in the classroom to impact the world around them. What you mentioned just there, I think, is the dream of every teacher, isn't it? That we empower students to be able to utilize what they're learning in our classrooms to apply to the real world. It can yeah. be really challenging, though, I think, um, 
to keep students motivated and ourselves as teachers motivated because we don't always see that or see any evidence of that so I guess that leads to my final question then and yeah. I'm asking you a lot of tricky questions I feel in this you episode are, but the, I like the challenge you know <laughs> it's great yeah <laughs> so it can be difficult to notice our learning and progress as learners and to remain motivated do you have any suggestions on how teachers can help make learning and progress more visible to students and maybe if I flip that as well to how students we can help students make things more visible to us as teachers as well and that feedback loop of how they may be growing outside of the classroom one way we can make learning more visible and this is something John Hattie talks about in his book visible learning i mean there of course you know some of it is very controversial but the idea of making learning visible is quite interesting because students should be made aware of their learning curve let's say and i like to work with uh, portfolios for example not just uh, numerical grades and summative assessment you know tests and exams i think testing can be done to help students learn rather than to check if they have learned or not. There's something very uh, well known in in cognitive psychology called the testing effect. And then if you test yourself before you try something and then you keep doing that, retrieving, that actually enhances learning. But one thing we can do is really uh, gather everything that our students produce, um, especially digitally or or paper-based materials or anything that they do in class, We can even record parts of the lesson. I mean, as long as we have the the permissions to do that. And then we create a portfolio. And then we see, um, and and I like showing them. So you were able to do this here a few months ago. Now you can do this. So can you see that you've made progress? And this is part of feedback. We have to make sure that we're giving students customized and, and real, and I would say specific feedback on the things that they're producing so that it's not just numbers because, you know, if you get a, a good grade and then you get a, a bad grade the second uh, time you, you take a test or something like that, and that's the only feedback you have, it's not very tangible. You don't know exactly what's going on. So I think we have to make their learning curves quite explicit somehow. And that's why I like portfolios. I like uh, pedagogical documentation, things that come from uh, this more constructivist approach, let's say, Maria Montessori and uh, Reggio Emilia. So I really like, I think we should apply those things, not just, you know, if we're working with kids, young learners, but especially adults, I would say, even, you know. When I think about portfolio, I think about my course book folders, like the actual folders. And I'm I'm conscious that some of the listeners may also think that too, but you can get really creative with what that portfolio means and what type of assets you put in that portfolio. Yeah, you know, for, I'll give you a couple of examples. I use some free tools you can find online, digital tools like uh, Padlet or Jamboard or Mentimeter or Kahoot or, you know, so that we can keep track of students' uh, progress, let's say. I think it's really interesting not only for them to access things um, digitally, but to see the results, you know, what were the outcomes of whatever task they did in the past and then compare and then sometimes even retake things. And I like very much this idea of spaced repetition, again, which is based on evidence. And so I think it's interesting for you to try things again after some time to check if they got easier, because this is a very, I think it's almost like a thermometer of, of your uh, accomplishments. You know, it, it just, it feels that you, as soon as you do something, I've done this, I remember it was really hard at the beginning, 
but then I can do it quite easily. So that tells you right there that you're making progress, you know. Well, the examples you just provided there are really lovely ways in which we can zoom out and take a minute. I think that's great, not only for students, but also for the teachers where you can see the progress that they've made. And the teacher can also evaluate what they've been doing, what's been working, where the progress worked and what may have happened at those different stages to help facilitate that learning. So I think this is really creative, inspiring ways that I imagine our listeners are already doing. It's just helped to really kind of justify and frame what they're doing and maybe think, ah, I may try this a bit more at the grow stage or this a bit more at the no or the show stage that you just mentioned. Definitely. And, you know, one of uh, the keywords of grow. So when you read the section of, you know, grow in my book, I talk a lot about metacognition and it's really trying things out. And, and there are different stages within the metacognitive framework. And one of them is it's really about regulation and control strategies and adjusting things and trying things out. And we have to be metacognitive as teachers, especially if we want our students to be metacognitive themselves. So GROW is really about experimentation and trying things out, making notes, trying them again, and then revisiting and then, well, is this better, worse? Should I keep doing this? Should I try something else, right? Andre, it's been really inspiring talking to you. Thank you so much for your time today to talk about the No Show Grow approach. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And I hope you know people get interested in this approach and give it a try. Use it to rethink and reframe your teaching philosophy. If you'd like to know more about Andre's approach, then you should check out his book, The Owl Factor, Reframing Your Teaching Philosophy, and also follow him on social media. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer, or you have a topic like Andre did to pitch for an episode, then you can contact us via Instagram, Facebook, or the website, tsopop.com. Finally, you can support the work we do at Tsopop by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast. Sharing Tisa Pop content with your teaching community or even sponsoring our coffee break at ko forward slash Tisa Pop.